Me, please, to Ecclesiastes 12. Um, Ecclesiastes 12. Well, actually, why don't you open the beginning of Ecclesiastes 1? And we'll end up in Ecclesiastes 12, alright? So that's on page 667. And by the way, big warm welcome to those who are visiting. Uh, good to have you with us, especially those uh, here for Evelyn's uh, baptism. Uh, thank you for coming. Page uh, 667. And then there's an outline of where we're going in one of the handouts you received as you came in. Uh, so you can have that open in front of you as well. That'll be helpful. If you want to uh, have pencils, you feel free to go and get one from the, from the welcome desk. should just let you know before we start that... Uh, Sometime in the next couple of weeks, sometime in the next few weeks, we should be getting blinds for here. Uh, that'll be a good one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, sometime in the next few weeks, we should have it. Uh, I think there's going to be one first, just to test it out, make sure it's okay, and then we'll put the others up. Um, and then, it, uh, yeah, we'll be able to see that screen, and we'll be able to sit here and be cooler as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you speak to us through your word. We pray that you help us now as we consider this uh, book of Ecclesiastes for um, one more time. Uh, Father, we pray that um, you will uh, give us insight. Uh, we pray that your spirit will be working in our hearts, uh, that we will be uh, hearing what you want to say to us, that we will be responding rightly, and that we will be appreciating more and more the Lord Jesus uh, and what he has done for us. And so, Father, we commit this time to you. Please help me to teach your word properly. And we pray that each of us will be responding rightly to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've finally come to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. Those of you who are visiting, let me just tell you, we've been doing Ecclesiastes for the past three and a half months, I think, something like that. Um, And what a journey it has been. Uh, It's been great, hasn't it? Once again, to see... All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, even the bits that we weren't sure about. And Ecclesiastes has been an eye-opener for many of us. It's firmly grounded in the realities of this world, and yet also driven us to Christ, who gave us not only life in this world, but in the world to come. Let me remind you about the book of Ecclesiastes as we have seen it. We thought that the preacher, or to use the Hebrew word Kohelet, was almost certainly Solomon. He's the only one who fits the description of the preacher in this book. And however, we also thought that there was someone else, someone whom we call the frame narrator, who is presenting Solomon's wisdom to us in this book. Uh, We saw the section at the beginning of chapter 1, verse 1 to 11, and then right at the end, that section from verse 8 to 14 of chapter 12, seems to be the work of this frame narrator, it's called frame because it comes the beginning and the end, and narrator because he's narrating it. And because Why? Because he's talking about the preacher in the third person. And actually there's one other place in the middle of the book where it says, says the preacher, so it's the third person again, which shows that the frame narrator is still editing right through the middle, although in the middle his hand is main, mainly invisible. Ultimately, however, we know it's the Holy Spirit who is guiding both the preacher and the frame narrator, so that what we have here is the Word of God. Yet we also know that the revelation of God is progressive revelation. God didn't reveal everything about himself all at once. It was step by step by step. 
And at this point in progressive revelation, God, you had not yet spoken about the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Or pictures of it, suggestions, patterns that we can look back on now and say, ah, these were hints, but nothing concrete. And so as the preacher tries to make sense of life, he does it from the perspective of under the sun. The Holy Spirit, who is guiding him, purposely limits himself to giving him wisdom for life under the sun. And life under the sun is not life without God. You see that God's all over the place in this book. But it's life without considering the gospel. It's life without considering the resurrection of Jesus. It's life without considering eternity. It doesn't deny it, and in fact Ecclesiastes will drive us to it, but it's not presupposing it. Life under the sun, we've seen, is life as it is, with all you can tell about it, from cradle to grave. Yet even under the sun, God is there right through. God is still there, whether there's life after death or not. Because God is the creator. God is the sustainer. God is the one who is sovereign over everything that goes on under the sun. He gives life, he gives food, he gives the power to enjoy them. Life under the sun is still in relationship with God and and the preacher knows that. But life under the sun is still vanity. And the Hebrew word for that was haber. Meaningless. Vain. Ephemeral. Fleeting. Like like a vapor that disappears. And so the book of Ecclesiastes has given us two things. He has given us wise, Holy Spirit-sanctioned advice for living under the sun. And that's helpful because under the sun is where we still live. But it has also prepared us for the future, driven us to Christ and his gospel, to the one who gives us a bigger perspective on all those things that were talked about in Ecclesiastes. And as we've gone from week to week, we've seen that what Ecclesiastes says about each topic is true as far as it goes, but the gospel enables us to see things further than life under the sun. To see the big picture of God in terms of his plans and purposes for eternity, and that, that changes our perspective on things here and now. Well, let me briefly take you on a tour of what we've seen through the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, you remember the first 11 verses of chapter 1, the words of the frame narrator, quoting the preacher? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything is meaningless or ephemeral. Work is vanity. Why? Because ultimately... Goes round and round and you achieve nothing, isn't it? And you die, and eventually you'll be forgotten. You will be forgotten. And everything will just keep on going round and round. And the preacher himself affirms this. He was, chapter 1, verse 12, king in Jerusalem. And so he was in a position to try all the different things that could give life meaning. And the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2, he, he does that. He tries wisdom, becoming really, really wise, only to find out that the more he realizes about the world, the more depressed he becomes. And furthermore, he realizes that the wise and the fool end up in the same place, dead and forgotten. So what's the point of being wise at that point? 
He also tries pleasure, but there's no use in that either. He, he tries work, toiling to achieve and acquire things, and then he realizes that everything he has is left to someone else to enjoy. And so wisdom and pleasure and toil and possessions are all hadal. Meaningless, fleeting, of, of no permanent value. And so he concluded that the best thing he can do under the sun is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in your work anyway. It's the gift of God to be able to enjoy them, yet at the same time, it's all vanity. And then we saw in the first half of chapter 3 that God is the Lord of time. But he's made it in such a way that we cannot work out his plans and purposes in and of ourselves. They're, they are hidden from us. We can't work out the big picture of eternity, so all we can do is eat and drink and find enjoyment in our work. And we saw in the second half of chapter 3 from verse 16 that the preacher noticed wickedness where there ought to have been justice. And he elaborates about the terrible oppression under the sun at the beginning of chapter 4. So much so that you could even say that the dead are, are better off than the living because they don't have to put up with it. And those who are not born are better off because they've never had to put up with it. But in between those things, he expresses his conviction in chapter 3 verse 17 that God will judge. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked and there is a time for every matter and for every work, there's a time for everything. There must be a time for judgment. But all you can tell from observation of life under the sun is that people die like animals die. And you can't tell beyond that. So all you can do is enjoy your work. Well, we've talked a lot about work, so the preacher gives advice concerning it. Even work, we know, is vanity, verse 4 onwards of chapter 4. Motivated by man's envy of his neighbor. And that's pretty meaningless, isn't it? Because you both die anyway. If you're lazy, you suffer. But don't work too hard. Balance work and rest. What's really vanity is someone who works and works and works and gathers more and more and more riches without even enjoying them and doesn't have anyone to leave them to generally better to work with other people than alone. It's generally good to take advice. But even if you're a star at work and achieve political greatness, it's pretty useless anyway because people will, won't rejoice in you eventually. You'll be forgotten like everyone else. When it comes to God, chapter 5, the preacher has strong advice. Be careful. Don't talk too much. Listen more. Don't make rash promises, but if you make promises to God, you better deliver. And then when it comes to money, well, if you love money, you're going to need more and more and more. You'll never be satisfied. You can worry about it. You can lose it in a bad investment. You can have it and not have the power to enjoy it. And when you die, you can't take it with you. So eat and drink and enjoy your work. If God gives you possessions and the power to enjoy them, thank him. It's a gift from him. That was chapter 5 and 6. Well, what about wisdom? Chapter 7. Well, better to be wise than a fool. Wisdom is a good thing. But the end of chapter 6 has already told you that you don't actually know what's good for you. And you don't really know what's going to happen after you. 
So wisdom's good, but, but it's limited. In fact, the preacher says in the second half of chapter 7, don't try too hard to be wise because wisdom is elusive. It's good, but, but you'll never be wise enough. And don't try too hard to be righteous, that is, be morally perfect, because, because everyone sins. and You'll never be righteous enough. So what do you do? You fear God. You reverently trust him. That's what's going to keep you safe in the end. Not your wisdom or your righteousness. The preacher doesn't know about Jesus' death which takes away our sins, but he knows we can't be saved by our own wisdom or our righteousness, and, and to fear God is more important than both. And what about authority? Chapter 8. How do you relate to the king? Well, live wisely under his authority, the preacher says, because he's got power over you. Don't fight him or disagree with him publicly. He's the boss, but there's a proper time and a just way to do what is right. Wisdom helps you work it out. And yes, evil men flourish. They seem to get away with their evil deeds. They, they live long and prosper, and it seems that justice de is delayed, which seems like justice is denied. Yet somehow or other, the preacher keeps coming back to his conviction that God will bring judgment on those who don't fear him. In chapter 9, though, the preacher says that everybody dies. Whether you're one of the good guys who fear the Lord and one of the bad guys, the wicked, the end is the same. The grave. And you don't know when that's going to happen. It could be any time. So what should you do? Enjoy your food. Enjoy your drinks. Enjoy life with your spouse. Enjoy looking smart. Work hard, learn lots, because you can't do those things from the grave. But you can do all those things with a clear conscience, knowing that God approves. And then the preacher goes back to wisdom. From the end of chapter 9 to the end of chapter 10, we see again that wisdom is definitely better than folly. Lots of good things happen under wise leadership. Lots of bad things happen under foolish leaders. Wisdom is better than folly. And wisdom in chapter 11 teaches you to deal with the uncertainties that are under the sun. Be bold enough to act decisively, not be paralyzed by the uncertainties of life. But recognize that you don't know everything and you can't foresee everything, so diversify your investments. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Be, be bold, be wise. Both of those things. Friends, it takes many years to accumulate such wisdom, isn't it, that we've been hearing from the, from the preacher. But by that time, it could be too late to use it. So at the end of chapter 11 and the first half of chapter 12, the preacher speaks to the young man in light of all that he's discovered. It's good to be alive. Enjoy life, but remember you will get old and die. It's all vanity. So what you should do? Enjoy your youth while you have it. Do what you want. But let your behavior be tempered and controlled by the awareness that God will bring you to judgment for whatever you do. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Remember who is the one who made you. Who is the one who gives you whatever you have to enjoy. And then you're going to get old. And then you're going to die. And that is vanity. So remember Him now before the time comes. Well, friends, that was a whirlwind summary going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Now that we've bang, 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 gone through it, do you see some repeated themes? 
You notice some big points that keep on coming back again? First thing comes through over and over again is that life of under the sun is vanity, haber. It's meaningless, empty, fleeting. Soon will be gone. Why? Because under the sun you'll eventually be forgotten. Your work will be forgotten. Everything about you will be forgotten. The world will eventually go on as if you never existed. Life under the sun is vanity. Life under the sun is vanity. Why? Because there's so much injustice and oppression. The wicked get away with terrible things and the righteous suffer. It's, it's vanity. Life under the sun is vanity. Why? Because what happens to the fool and what happens to the wise in the end is the same thing. What happens to the wicked and what happens to the righteous is the same thing. What happens to a man and what happens to a beast is the same thing. They all die. Life under the sun is vanity. Life under the sun is vanity. Why? Because you can be really wise and hardworking and when you die, the person who enjoys it all is the fool who didn't work for it. The reason people work hard is because they envy their neighbor, but you're all going to the same place anyway. The grave is the grave. Because even though you do good with wisdom, people will forget you. Because, if you. because you are never satisfied with money, no matter how much you have. Because you could have wealth, but not the capacity to enjoy it. Because youth is fleeting and old age comes to haunt you in the end before you die. It's vanity. Habel. And so the rest of the book deals with the question, what is the best way to live in a world like that? What's the best way to live in this Hebel world? I think there are four big things we've learned in response. First of all, be wise. Be wise. Don't think wisdom will save you from the vanity of the world. It won't. But it will teach you how to live well in this Hebel world. Be wise. This includes working hard, rating carefully to those in authority, diversifying your investments, making bold decisions when necessary, controlling your anger, all different kinds of things you can read in the, in the various Proverbs that are inside Ecclesiastes. Be wise. Secondly, another thing that kept on coming up over and over again was, enjoy life. Enjoy your food, your drink, your relationships, your work, paid or unpaid. These are things given by a good creator. Enjoy them with thanksgiving in your heart to Him. They may not have lasting value, but they're there for you to enjoy. Three, know the limitations of wisdom. God has set things up so you can't know His plans and purposes through wisdom. That's a deliberate thing. So true wisdom humbly recognizes its own limitations. True wisdom doesn't pontificate about things that can't be reached by wisdom. And fourthly, fear God. Listen to Him. Remember Him. For somehow or other, He will bring you into judgment. Well, that's our summary of the preacher's words.
Let's see how the frame narrator ends the book. He gives us the two big conclusions of the book. His summary of the preacher's most important points. The first is in verse 8 of chapter 12. The second is in verses 13 to 14. And they are separated, as you can see, by verses 9 to 12, which tells us how to think about the preacher and what he said. First of all, he summarizes the first main point of the preacher. It's the same words he used to start off the book. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. And that's the first main point in our summary too, wasn't it? Frame narrators always talked, already, already talked a lot about that in the opening frame, so he says nothing more about it here. And he goes straight on to talk about the preacher and his teaching. And what he does is he affirms and endorses the words and wisdom of the preacher. Verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Uh, this, this fits with the preacher being Solomon, doesn't it? Because Solomon collected, he thought about it, wrote many proverbs with great care and skill. And these proverbs came to be grouped with others in the wisdom literature of Israel in our Bibles. And the friend narrator says that these words of the wise, verse 11, are like goads. And the nails firmly fixed are the collected saying. Goads is a stick they use to prod an animal. The words of the wise are there to stir us to action, to make us think. Make us go. But they're also like nails firmly fixed. They're meant to stick in the mind. But most importantly, this collective wisdom is not just from various writers like Solomon and others. There's a, a divine author behind them all. The end of verse 11 says they are given by one shepherd. God is the one who is ultimately responsible for the, for the wisdom writings in the Bible. They are, they are, they are given by him. And they are sufficient. They are enough. Verse 12, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much studies of weariness of the flesh. I think the students are studying for exams and all that right now, aren't they? But you can read lots and lots and lots and lots of books on wisdom. There's no end to them. But all the wisdom you really need to live under the sun, well, God's actually given it to you here. Read Ecclesiastes, and read Proverbs, read Job. Enough wisdom there to help you live by. And then we come to the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter. Sums up the answer to the questions that preachers have been addressing all along. Given the fact that life under the sun is vanity of vanities, it's so vain, it's so... How do you live? What's the best way to live in this Hebel world? Well, just now, when we summarized the, the, the preacher's writing, we had four main points, isn't it? But the frame narrator is only telling us one of them here. And that's the most important one for moving on. Verse 13, 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. What's the conclusion? Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, both good and evil. In the end, what do you do? Fear God. Fear God. Reverently trust Him. And if you fear God, then you will obey His commandments. Why? Because God will bring everything to judgment. 
Is it a surprising conclusion? Not really, is it? The conviction that God will judge is not new here. We've been seeing it all along in what the preacher's been saying. But by making it the climax, the end point, the conclusion of the book, the, and omitting the other conclusions, the frame narrator is indicating this. This is the most important thing. There's the point. That is the way to get perspective of life under the sun. Life under the sun is Hevel, but we are accountable to our Creator. And He will bring every deed into judgment. So we fear God and obey Him. That's our duty. That's what we're made for. And when we think about that, friends, we realize that life must have meaning if we are accountable to our Creator. Life under the sun is Hevel, but judgment changes things. Yet even that is vague, isn't it? We're not told how God will bring everything into judgment, because if it's in this life, if it's under the sun, well, that, that doesn't make sense because earlier on in Ecclesiastes we read that there are, righteous, there are times when the righteous get what the wicked deserve and the wicked get what the righteous deserve, and that's vanity. It doesn't help you escape from vanity. And so Ecclesiastes, without actually saying it, is driving us, is driving us to conclude that there must be more to life. The world is not all that there is. There must be more than life under the sun. There has to be. There must be more so that God can bring everything to justice. As the preacher says, he will. We don't know about that here because Ecclesiastes deals with life under the sun. But the book would have forced the pious Israelite to keep thinking, to keep praying, to keep looking forward to the day when God would reveal more. And that prayer was answered in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is indeed the true wisdom of God. Ecclesiastes says you cannot figure out God's plans and purposes by wisdom. And that is true. But in Jesus Christ, God's wisdom is revealed. And we know God's plans and purposes in Him. Jesus Christ is the true wise man. He exemplifies all that Ecclesiastes says about the wise. He feared God. He kept His commandment. He remembered His Father in the days of His youth. He lived the life of the wise man. And Jesus Christ died under the judgment of God. Even though He was a wise man, He died the death of a fool. Even though He was a righteous man, He died the death of the wicked. But that was not Hebel. It was not meaningless. For in his death, Jesus Christ took our sins and paid for them himself. He took our folly. He took our unrighteousness, our wickedness, and paid the price for us. So that by his death, Jesus opened the way for sinners like us to be saved by a holy God. And we access the benefits of his death, not by our own wisdom, not by our own righteousness, but by fearing God, by trusting Him, by faith. And the God whom we trust is the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And by raising Him from the dead, God has shown us that death is not the end. 
Indeed it is not. The Apostle Paul put it this way in his sermon to, to, to the people in Athens, coming up on the screen. God has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so you see, the mystery of Ecclesiastes is soft. The preacher's conviction is indeed confirmed. God will indeed bring all things to judgment. And at the end of the day, there will be justice, even though the wicked seem to get away with things now. And at the end of the day, all will give account. And, gives, and that gives meaning to everything that we do. Jesus will judge the living and the dead on the day of resurrection. And justice will be done and be seen to be done. So friends, how do we live? We live in the now and we live in the not yet. We still live under the sun and life under the sun is hell. So what do we do? Well, first of all, we take those four pieces of the preacher's advice. Be wise. Work hard. Relate carefully to those in authority. Diversify your investments. Make bold decisions when necessary. Control your anger. Be wise in this under-the-sun way as you live in this world. But know that true wisdom that saves only comes through Jesus. Secondly, enjoy life. Enjoy your food, enjoy your drinks, enjoy your relationships, your work, paid or unpaid, as, as, in as far as you can. These things are given by a good creator. Enjoy them with thanksgiving in your heart to him. God, our creator, is glorified when we enjoy his creation with thankful hearts. Thirdly, know the limitations of wisdom. God has set things up so you can't know his plans and purposes through wisdom. That is deliberate. True wisdom humbly recognizes his own limitations and turns to Jesus. Because in Jesus Christ, God's wisdom is revealed. And we know God's plans and purposes in him. And fourthly, fear God. Listen to him, remember him. And remember that whatever we do, we are accountable to him on that last day. Take that advice from the preacher. Because we are all living under the sun. But, there is another dimension which we need to consider. Because now we know that not everything is Havel. There are things that are Havel. Work, wealth, fame, power, achievements. Not bad things. Part of God's creation to be embraced with thanksgiving and enjoyed. But, remember they are Havel. Ephemeral, fleeting, no permanent worth, ultimately meaningless. Enjoy them now as God's gift to you while they last, but they won't last for eternity. So live in light of eternity. What is not Havel is your relationship with God. Love Him more than anything else and therefore obey Him. What is not Havel is your labor in the Lord. What is not Hebel 
is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does not have value is the kingdom. Friends, since Jesus rose from the dead, then we will rise as well. There will be more to our story than life under the sun. There is more to our story than being young and then getting old and then dying. And if this is true, and if there is a new creation on the one hand and hell on the other, and those things are real, then, wow, what we do for the kingdom has eternal value. Whenever you share the gospel with someone, whenever you help your brother or sister persevere in the faith, whenever you do anything at all, even giving someone a cold cup of water for the sake of the kingdom, that is not meaningless. It's all part of helping someone come to know Jesus or to persevere in Jesus who can alone save them from death and hell and give them eternal life in his glorious kingdom. Part of building God's kingdom that will last forever. That is so important. And the Apostle Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We finish this series by asking you a question. The same question I asked in the sermon at the beginning of the series. Do you live a meaningless life? Is your life a death? You might be someone who is not a follower of Jesus and until today you may not have thought about God judging you in the end. You might just be thinking of a life under the sun kind of way all the time. But today you've seen the Bible's wisdom on your life. If, if that's all it is, it's, it's vanity. Apart from the final judgment, life is meaningless. It's hell. It's What's the point? If there is no judgment. You may as well just do anything you like and then die. doesn't matter anyway. But if there is this final judgment, as the Preachers thought there must be a judgment. And as God has shown that there is, because he has risen, raised Christ from the dead, if there is a final judgment, then life does matter. And what you do does matter. Yet if God is the judge, then you and I are in trouble because we haven't treated God properly and we haven't treated each other properly. And if God does judge then in and of ourselves we would be on the wrong side of that judgment. The solution though, is not to put our head in the sand and go back to adopting that perspective of simply under the sun. God's got a better solution. He gave his son to die on the cross to pay the punishment for our sins. And he raised him from the dead as the Lord of all. Believing in Jesus not only frees us from a life of meaninglessness, it brings us forgiveness from the very judgment 
that makes things matter. And following and serving Jesus gives us a purpose in life that only he as the resurrected Lord can give. Because in him our labor is not in vain. And the work we do for him really does count for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you for the things that you have taught us from the book of Ecclesiastes. We thank you that we've been able to see that even though life under the sun is heaven, you are the one who brings judgment in the end. You are the one who has raised your son to life and because of him we know that everything we do is meaningful because it's assessed by you and that this life is not all there is. We look for the resurrection of the dead and, and the life of the world to come. Father, help us to keep perspective of what you revealed to us in Christ so that we may not get lost in the perspective of this world. But help us also to remember, Father, the, the futility of life under the sun that we may not get so caught up with it that we forget eternity help us to enjoy the good things that you've given us in thanksgiving to you as our creator but let us not be people who get obsessed with those things thinking that meaning in life is found in them. Help us to be able to see clearly which things in our lives are Havel and which things are not. And help us to order our lives appropriately in light of that. We pray all these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear God, keep his commandments, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And friends, as we have just been reminded, our only hope now and on that final day of judgment will be to be robed in the righteousness of Jesus, having trusted in him as God's Saviour and risen Lord for us now and always. Great God, what do I see and hear? the end of things created. Let's stand and let's sing.